You're listening to the Script Lab Podcast. I'm Shani Edwards. Today I speak with Oscar-nominated screenwriter and playwright Lucy Alibar about her new film Troop Zero that was based on her play Christmas and Jubilee Behold the Meteor Shower. You may know Lucy's previous film, Beasts of the Southern Wild, that was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. Set in 1977, Troop Zero is about a misfit little girl named Christmas who loves space and David Bowie and is desperate to be part of the Golden Record, a collection of sounds from Earth sent out into space on Voyager 1. Let's hear a clip. Wanna be Birdie Scout? Wanna go to Jamboree? Jamboree is a talent show? Is that you? Or is trash you? Would have been good for you to be around other girls. Who knows I'll raise you like one of them hillbillies. Joseph, I thought I'd be birdies. I'm not a girl. There's nothing the whole book that says you have to be. To make a troop, we need a minimum of four scouts. You know I ain't your friend, right? Yeah, I know that. Smash this to come to. You want to help the most poor, struggling fools of the earth? Yes. Miss Raylene, be latest to glory. You just setting yourself up for your little heart to get broke. No, I set myself up to change my whole life. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Sheeny. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. I loved Troop Zero. Thank you. I was never a Girl Scout, but I wanted to be so bad. Yeah. Like, I would see those girls with the little vests, and I wanted that so much. But my mom was like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's There's something so official looking about it, which is, I think, you know, I think Christmas in, in the movie has the same impulse, where there's just something about... As a girl, you're not really given the opportunity to congregate with other girls that much the way boys do. We're not as encouraged to play sports and we're not, um, we're just not, there's not that kind of encouragement there. So I think there's also this kind of excitement about being around another group of girls and, you know, people like us. Sure. As much as I love this movie, I want to go back a little bit to talk about Beasts of the Southern Wild. Which blew my mind, and obviously you won a million awards for that film. What I love so much was some of this ancient Greek mythic structure, symbolism stuff that you put into the film. Yeah. Um, I, I just loved it. And the scene where they go to Elysian Fields, and if you, for my listeners, if you haven't seen Beasts of the Southern Wild, you must see it. But there's this scene where they take a little boat and they go to this old oil rig yeah it's a the idea it's a is it an oil rig or is it a a dream of an oil rig (laughs) (laughs) and it's sort of a brothel yeah ish ish sort of but they give hugs right yeah and I remember sitting in the theater and just going oh my god this is the most incredible scene I've ever seen oh thank you it was it was a lot of fun to it took a that was probably the the scene we worked the hardest to get just right. I think every project, especially every feature you work on has, I think every writer remembers the one scene that just you work it until you get it and you know when you don't have it. And there's sometimes it's kind of like fitting a puzzle piece into a puzzle and just mashing it in because you want it to work and you know it's not going to work. And so finally when we got that scene, uh, I, I just remember this. It's like 20 pounds of weight just flying off my chest. Why was it so hard? Well, I think it's 
you know, I think structurally in the movie, it's the first time there is a major the rules of the reality change more than they ever have before. I mean, Hush Puppy is actually interacting with this um, kind of dream world much more, much more specifically and much more, um, just the engagement is higher than before when she was just seeing the aurochs coming out of the ice. and I think just the the what the scene is like you you want to ask yourself what every scene is doing for the movie or it can be as beautiful as you want but if it's not serving the story you you can't have it and so it was really deciding this um, this boat of mothers and this dream of somebody who misses their mom so intensely what that what that kind of paradise would look like. That's what it was for me. Yeah. Because I didn't have like a mommy mom. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to go there. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we all do. I think everybody, um, there's just something so primal about wanting a parent to like this kind of, you know, they're the ones who created you and it's sort of this almost return to, I, I don't know, it's this very primal thing. So I think... That was uh, we were so fortunate to have um, people really tap into that. Yep, I'm getting emotional. Oh, I'm so glad! <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, all right, let's talk about Troop Zero and your protagonist, Christmas, who loves space, and Carl Sagan and David Bowie, and I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we all do. I mean. You know, I th- I think what I love about uh, McKenna's portrayal of Christmas as well is she loves stories about space. Does she does she get her facts right all the time? A hundred percent not. Is she accurate? No, but she she'll see these. What children should do and what we should encourage in children is she'll she'll read a Carl Carl Sagan quote, and even if she can't wrap her mind around the specifics of it, it just blasts the ceiling of your mind open. And so this idea of how could we possibly be alone in this giant, vast universe and what else is out there? Who's listening to us? If there's nobody for you here, maybe there must be someone for you somewhere and maybe they're in outer space. Oh my God, I don't know why I'm so emotional. No, I love that. It's okay. Because she also, she doesn't have a mother either. So both of these films deal with young children, girls, who don't have mothers. Yeah. Is that something that's personal to you? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think the the more, the thing I I have much more strongly in common was the loneliness and the feeling, um, you know, I mean, my my mother was around and she worked all the time and made these incredible sacrifices so me and my brothers could be educated and have careers later. Um, but I think it was more um, just feeling so different, feeling so alone um, and wondering if I was... I'm, I'm a very social person and I really get a lot of energy from being around other people and I didn't have that growing up so I think I was it was more that desire to connect you are a playwright 
And both of these films were based on your plays, right? Yes. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about how you got started in theater and how that led to film. Uh, that's a really good question. You know, I um, so my my mother worked nonstop growing up, and she would uh, drop me and my brothers off at the public library in Tallahassee, Florida. And there was one in the town I grew up too, but. Uh, I feel sort of like Matilda and I read all those books and then I, I, I was like I need more books so my mom would just drop me off at the Tallahassee library um, on weekend I mean she worked all the time so on weekends and then after school I'd go to the library and I remember finding the theater section and reading Ibsen and Miller and these great playwrights um, of the English language or who had great translations and then I remember I, I found there were two plays that were so incredible. One was Indazake Shange's For Colored Girls Who've Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. And mm -hmm. it was, um, I had never read a play like this. I, I didn't know you could write a play in in poetry and right. where people speak in poetry. And it, it just, it blew my mind. And I, you know, there was something that, that wasn't my culture, that wasn't, but I, I went there. I was just transported to a completely different world, and it was humbling, and it was... Um, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it was this world I never... I could open a book... I opened a book, and I was just somewhere else entirely. And then I remember where I was when I read Angels in America for the first time, which is, I think, such a pivotal point um, for people of my generation and younger, where you were when you read... If you're not from a major city, when you read Angels in America for the first time, when that was your first exposure to contemporary theater, um, I, I just, I will never forget that. And I was at school, I remember, and I was reading Millennium Approaches under my desk in English class because I had read all the books in English class already and the teacher the teacher his favorite book was a separate piece so I was like this isn't gonna go well like whose favorite book is a separate piece not mine it's a terrible like I cannot believe that book is taught in schools and I, I it, so anyway so I was reading I would read Angels in America under my desk and it got to the part where um Lewis is leaving Pryor and Joe is leaving Harper like I remember this I was like 13 years old and I was, I remember exactly where I was reading this the first time. And there, it's this overlapping scene and these overlapping universes. And I told the teacher I had to go to the bathroom and he was a man. And so if a girl asks if she has to go to the bathroom, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. go, just go. Yeah. So I, I just like <laughs> went to the bathroom and spent the entire rest of class finishing Millennium Approaches in the girls' bathroom. It was, it was incredible. So, so then I just, it wasn't even that I wanted to be a playwright with that title. I wanted to make things like that. I wanted to make, I wanted to write things that would just take people to a different world that would, and not just take people to a different world, but I wanted to create different worlds where people could, could be. So then I was really, really fortunate and I had um, a teacher tell me about a playwriting contest in Gainesville, Florida at the Hippodrome Theater, which I, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I don't know what my life would have been if I hadn't known about this. Um, but uh, Kyle Bastian, this teacher in Tallahassee, gave me this, uh, basically a flyer for the Hippodrome Theater, and they were having a team playwriting contest. And so I entered it not knowing what a play was, wrote something, and the prizes you get your play produced. So then at, I think, 15 years old, I was getting 
taken down to Gainesville, Florida, which to me was the big city. I mean, just you know what I mean? It was like, I'm going to be in Gainesville. I'm going to wear lip gloss. I'm going to look cute because I'm, you know what I mean? I'm in Gainesville. And uh, I, I like, and, um, and then they did my play at this professional theater. And it just, and then afterwards, this woman comes up to me. And she says, you, and she put her hand on me. And she says, "You just wrote my life." And I, it was—it was unbelievable. I mean, to be—I I can't stress how rural, how not around people I was at all. So this was to go from this place of intense solitude to diving into people are speaking words you wrote, and then other people in the audience are connecting with it so viscerally. Um, it was just such a—it was such a kind of an endorphin high. That, that was that was what really got me hooked. That's amazing. Do you feel that same connection with your movies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what I what I love about movies and what I wish theater would make more of an effort to do. I mean, Jeremy O'Harris is making an effort with Slave Play to get um, uh, and Lin Manuel Miranda with with Hamilton to to make theater actually affordable and accessible. That's not two hundred dollars and up a ticket. Um, so I think theater is is hard to get to for a lot of people. And what I love about movies, and especially this move we're making into streaming, is that you can work a full-time job and watch a movie at 10 o'clock at night. Is there, is there something special about congregating in, the theater, in a movie theater? Absolutely. And you can also have this experience one-on-one, the same way I had this experience in the library of reading um, of reading Tony Kushner, the, the same experience that I had one on one in the girls' bathroom with with Millennium Approaches. It's um, you can have that, and you can gain access to this to this other world. So, what inspired you for Troop Zero? Because I remember I grew up in LA, okay, and I used to go to the Griffith Observatory, and I think they actually have a replica of that gold, the gold record. <gasps> Oh, I'm yeah. very new to LA, so I need to. I haven't been there. I, that sounds amazing. I yeah, would love to go. I think at least when I was little. Yeah, and I remember it, and I remember thinking that's going out in space. Yeah, right. And I feel like that was an, such an effort of goodwill from the 1970s. I don't can't imagine humanity sending out such a. You know, I think President Obama would have sent out a golden record. Pr- President Jimmy Carter did. I mean, Jimmy Carter and Obama were the two greatest presidents, in my opinion, that we've had since Lincoln. I know that's sort of, but um, you know, I I think um, I think what inspired me about it was was one learning about it, and yeah, I think just the pure goodwill of it was is very moving. I mean, it's it's kind of undeniable. And then if you listen to the those to the real effort that was made in the 1970s to be inclusive, which I'm sure, you know, critics can come at it now and say it wasn't nearly inclusive enough. Um, but but I do think that that effort was there. Um, and then I remember thinking, who do they pick to look like? Like when they're, when, if you're giving an alien a picture of who we were after we've all been wiped out. Who are you picking to say this is what a human child looks like? And who are you not picking? Who who are we never gonna know was here? What what extraordinary humanity? Um and you know, I'm I'm from a rural place in the South. I see extraordinary humanity. I, I know extraordinary people. Um I think the internet is is making that much more accessible now 
but they're just there's there's such treasures of humanity. I, I don't know another way to say it that I feel like we miss and was missed in that record. So you imagine aliens finding it after we're gone. Yeah, well, that's the idea is when it reaches the point that it's supposed to reach will have been gone. It, it'll, it's like 200 million light years. from I'm, I'm, That number is 100% arbitrary because I'm not great with numbers like Christmas Flint. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, the, the idea is it's after there's no more planet Earth. There's no more humanity. There's, there's none of it. Um, and it's so... I don't know. I think I just I I heard it and I I couldn't stop thinking about. And then if you knew they were making the record now, how important it would be to you that people knew about what you think is important, especially if you're a nine year old kid when you're the center of your own world and your your world is the whole world. Your friends are the whole world, and I I thought Christmas would want them to know about her friends not not even about her just her the people she loves one thing I loved about Christmas is that you gave her this flaw she doesn't necessarily and we don't really know if it's real but there's a rumor that she can't necessarily hold her yes urine well, people yeah the rumor is Christmas pees herself she's weird she lives with her weird dad and his dog, people are coming in and out of the house, and rumor has it she pees herself. It's such a great character flaw, especially yeah. for a little girl. Oh, yeah. And uh, no one wanted you to take that out, I assume. No. Okay, good. I was really, um, no, because I think it's it's so real. I think it's just like it, childhood is such a brutal place where difference is highlighted and stomped out um if if you're not in an extraordinary situation i think it can still be a very brutal place and and as much as i like to i think childhood is the most magical time it's incredible and you have no power and you're kind of at the mercy of whatever world you're in um so i i think that was yeah, I was I was excited to see how Christmas perseveres in a realistic way. Sure, uh, I heard that the set had snakes and alligators. <laughs> it sounds very biblical. I never thought about it that way. So I'm from North Florida, and there are a lot of snakes and alligators anyway. I didn't think it was that weird, but we did. We shot in Louisiana, and we had to have a professional. A professional. We just called him Snake Man, who's so nice, and he harmlessly capture the snakes, wouldn't hurt them, respected all the animals, and then would show the kids the snakes and let. So it was it was incredible. But yeah, we definitely had to. Um, the animals were a big part of the movie. Our our poor AD, we found out, was allergic to mosquitoes, which if you're shooting a movie in Louisiana and you're allergic to mosquitoes, I don't know what's I don't know what to tell you, but he got so sick one day from mosquitoes, which Wow. Yeah. Who knew the elements? You don't have that in theater. I know, I know, exactly. And that was, I, I think that's what I loved so much about this this movie and the production design, the set design, the costume design. They work so much with, um, with what's there in Louisiana. It's incredible. In, in the South in general, there's just, it's old. It feels old. So I have a lot of listeners who are working on scripts independent films. What kind of advice do you have for someone who wants to get read and mm. stand out? 
To get right and stand out, I would say two things, and they sound contradictory, and I'm I'm still learning the balance of that. But it's it's professionalism and maintaining your voice. So, in other words, don't turn in a script that's not formatted that properly. That's there's there's so many resources now, especially on the internet. Um, listen to John August and Craig Mason's podcast as well, which really goes through the the. I mean, they'll, they'll take a script apart, literally, and it's it's such a great education. But then don't, don't file down your voice. Like, don't file down your teeth on your script. There's a reason you wrote this, and there's a reason. There's It doesn't have to be pain-related at all, but there is a deep need in you to, to write this thing, and you get to the why and don't, don't let that go. And don't – because otherwise – you're gonna sound you're you're just gonna lose your voice and then why why be a writer anyway and i realize those are two very contradictory things and i work on it all the time do you think you will always do plays and then make them into screenplays no you know i i would love to continue writing original movies as well i love the forum and i love how i love the the new worlds you can create that are so unique and i just love how anyone can see it it's it's really it's such a privilege to be able to do. Thank you so much, Lucy. This Thank you. film is incredible. It's going to be on Amazon. Yes. And it will be in theaters first? No, no just we're, Amazon. We're doing a screening tonight at The Grove, and then we are uh, debuting on Amazon Prime on the 17th. Great. Perfect, because yes. yes. that's easy to have access to. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about it. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much.